You're listening to Very Loose Women. Good evening, listeners. You just heard Club Integral, and you're now listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. In a kind of serendipitous coincidence, I think, it's currently Passover. So firstly, Chag Sameach to anyone who's celebrating. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's a kind of Jewish festival which commemorates the liberation of the Jews um, who were in slavery in Egypt. So that was thousands of years ago. And although it's now kind of a celebration of our freedom, it's also a time that a lot of Jewish people look at current struggles for liberation, just kind of worldwide. And I think maybe that's a perfect time to shed a light on a group of people who are currently struggling for liberation, the Yazidi people. Tonight on the show, we will be sharing our interview with Rosen Khalil Hanjul, a 19-year-old Yazidi student currently living in Coventry. Two years ago, she started a campaign asking the British government to help the Yazidi women and girls kidnapped by ISIS. Um, so Rosen kindly agreed uh, to speak to us about her petition the day before her talk at the South Bank Centre's Women of the World Festival that happened last month. Hello? Hiya. Oh, Yay. great. Okay, it's working. Perfect. <laughs> um, I'm Leo and this is Emma here. Hi. Hiya. Before we begin, I think we've got some information from Helena Kennedy QC to tell us a bit more about who the Yazidi people are. Just a trigger warning first, there are references to genocide and rape um, in the following extract and actually throughout the whole next half hour. Two years ago, ISIL kidnapped 5,000 Yazidi women and girls. They had already started a slaughtering campaign, killing many others in the community. If you were an older woman, you were not in the enslavement grouping, you were much more likely to die at the hands of ISIL. But so too were men and boys. And so many of the women who have been subjected to the enslavement by ISIL witnessed the slaughtering of their fathers, their mothers, and their brothers. But they were then taken into captivity, and they have been raped and raped and raped time and time again. For many of you, the, the, the word Yazidi was not one that you knew or may not even have known before today. Um, the Yazidi community was not known to me before two years ago. The Yazidi community is a, a smallish community um, that lives there on the borders um, of, of Iraq, close to Syria. The place that ISIL had decided was to be their space to create a new state. And because of the way in which the ISIL has a, a sort of perverted interpretation of Islam, they deem anyone who does not follow Islam in the form that they espouse it to be apostates. Apostates being uh, people to be despised and for them annihilated. Many Christians, many Shia, have died at their hands on the basis that they're apostates. Refusers to convert die, die at their hands. But the people who have probably suffered the most have been the Yazidi. Because the Yazidi religion predates Judeo-Christianity and Islam. It's a truly ancient religion. And as far as ISIL is concerned, this makes uh, Yazidi people somehow less than human in their eyes and therefore to be destroyed. So the, the enslavement of the women the constant rape of girls as young as 8, 9, 10 uh, into their adolescence and early teens 
the abuse at the level that we've heard described and which I have heard testimonies to has been of such a kind that we're talking about a serious attempt to destroy the possibility of the survival of these of this people. This is what genocide is. It is about putting an end to a people. And we argued in Britain, many of us who are human rights lawyers, that this was genocide. Um, there was eventually a great debate um, both in the Lords and in the Commons, uh, where um, it was accepted that this was genocide. We um, tried to compel government to take this to uh, the United Nations, um, wanting a designation of genocide. But I should warn you all that one of the reasons why there's some um, dragging of feet across the world on this is because once something is declared a genocide, there are implications for governments around the world to act, to do something. And one of the things that they should be doing is providing asylum and sanctuary for those who are the victims of it. Now, the UN confirmed that these atrocities did constitute genocide against the Yazidi and called for international support for survivors. But despite this, Nadia Murad, a Yazidi survivor who has been made a, a sort of um, a ambassador of the UN um, to represent the dignity of survivors of human trafficking, um, she has made it very clear and has said repeatedly that the world has remained silent. And I'm afraid our government has been desultory too. Um, so that was actually Helena Kennedy um, QC speaking at uh, the Women of the World Festival that happened at Southbank Centre in London last month. Um, they did a, an hour-long panel on the Yazidi people and um, the traumatic events that happened in 2008 and then in 2014 and uh, the ongoing um, so in, in northwest Iraq, as she mentioned, there's, there was a genocide and, um, and it was, it's, it's interesting that they would dedicate um, this space to the Yazidi people because um, for years prior, most, most people just hadn't, hadn't heard of this minority. Um, but now because they're being persecuted uh, by ISIS, it's, it's kind of come into prominence. I got involved, um, as you two perhaps know, um, in helping out around the refugee crisis and kind of doing what I can, even if it was pretty minimal. Um, and I used my teaching qualification to go to Greece this summer, and I, I ended up in a refugee camp um, that was run by the UN that was dedicated to a Yazidi community. So these were people who had fled northwest Iraq, um, gone through Turkey and crossed the Mediterranean and had ended up in Greece. And I can say actually now quite positively that um, many of them have asylum in both Portugal and Germany and I'm seeing the updates on Facebook and um, some of my friends went back to Athens where um, a lot of people from that camp have been relocated. Um, so it's it's quite traumatic but I got very emotionally involved um, obviously with though when I saw that the South Bank Centre was doing this um, I wanted to know more about it and I got in touch with one of the participants and that's how I encountered Rosin, Rosin Khalil Hanjul, who, when she was 17, made a petition on change.org that went viral. Um, and she was asking the British government to intervene um, to help Yazidi women and girls kidnapped by ISIS. And we were lucky enough that she actually agreed to let us interview her. Here's our interview with Rosin. Hello? Hiya. Oh, Hiya. great. Okay, it's working. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I'm Leo, and this is Emma here. Hi. Hiya. So I came um, to the UK when I was 10 years old in 2008. My dad, who was here previously, you know, he thought that it wasn't safe for us to remain in Iraq. 
You know, Yazidis is one of those minorities that is targeted by every extremist that enters Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2007, our minority was targeted by Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from that point, my dad was like, it, it's really not safe for you to remain there anymore. So we had to come here in 2014. It, but, you know, coming from coming from um, a background that was very conservative, like a culture that was very conservative, um, I always wanted to do something with, you know, women rights. And, you know, in 2014, when IS attacked the Yazidi people, over 5,000 5, uh, women and girls were held captive. Some of them are still held captive now. And, you know, hearing the stories from, what, you know, what has happened to them, you know, some of the survivors I spoke to, I said, I have to do something because, you know, like I'm in Britain, I have a voice back home. You know, it's you don't really have a voice there. Um, you know, listening to some of the amazing women talk about their story, like Manala. You know, I I kind of wanted to be the voice for the Yazidi girls and women. So I, you know, I set up a petition on Change.org. I was kind of looking into your activism, and that was maybe 2015. You were petitioning the government to kind of rescue the women kidnapped in kidnapped by ISIL back in your hometown. So how did that work? Um, well, you know, I set up the petition for, you know, like two reasons. I, you know, I wanted people to know, you know, who the Yazidis are and, you know, what was happening to them. Um, you know, secondly, you know, those people needed psychological support. You know, I noticed that UK had sent aid when I met with the Minister of International Development. I explained to him, you know, how you know, the aid that Britain is sending isn't actually going to the right people. You know, he promised that he would review the aid. How did you find that out? That um, How did you trace that the aid was going to the wrong people? It, it, it was because hearing people, there's so many people, uh, our minority is so small, um, so I have in contact with many of them, mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they were living so rough, and we, we told them, like, have you gotten any support from you know the Kurdistan government, the Iraq government? Mm-hmm. They said no help whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I said you know these are the people that desperately need help. It's amazing that you have these links that you could kind of look to and say this is actually what's really going on when like the government here had not really any idea and you're able to kind of explain and tell share the stories of people who are actually there. Yeah, I mean you know it's hard. It's hard for you know because the government might not know that like like you said, but. Um, you know, there's also there was also like, you know, speaking to survivors and them telling the story. The media hadn't covered it in this country, and I wanted to let the government know, you know, that it was so much worse than what the kind of you know, it, there's there's not enough information about it. And you know, I kind of told him everything when I met him. Do Do you think that you were listened to? There's no huge improvement, but, you know, with the new government and, you know, I'm hoping to take my petition back very soon. I'm hoping to get a better response, but at least now a, a lot of people know that, you know, what's happening. And, of course, it's it's hard campaign. It's hard to convince the government that these people actually really need help after two years. Mm-hmm. They're still, like, short of food, sh- short of wood, all the essentials. Some of the women that you know that I that my aunties and communicate with because I can't actually talk to them 
to some of them because you know because of the trauma that they had gone through um you know it, it it's really bad they're telling me you know how bad it actually is they're still wearing they were wearing some clothes while in captivity and they're actually still wearing those clothes after two years you kept in touch with some of the people and do you communicate with them with say your aunties you're talking about do you communicate with them over the phone or through whatsapp how kind of frequent is that communication it, you know, um, normally because obviously you you miss you miss your people back home, and mm. uh, you know the whole village was like, you know, we we all knew each other, so it was like we were, you know, a very big family. Mm. So I I keep in regular contact, um, you know, I, every week, almost every three four days, yeah. you know, we talk to each other to see you know what's improved, what hasn't, you know, what's gone worse. Um, so obviously you found yourself in Coventry now. Is there kind of much of a Yazidi community within the UK? There is probably about 50 families altogether. There is actually only our family lives in Coventry. So, you know, they're all based in different places. Is that a challenge at all? Um, I think I think it is a challenge and it's quite um, upsetting because there is so much, it's so hard to explain to someone who doesn't know who the Yazidis are it's hard for someone to understand us because they don't know our tradition, they don't know our culture. So, yeah, but, you know, we, we try to get close to each other as possible. So, you know, the younger generation don't forget um, our traditions and our culture. It, 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 is, it is tough. And there, so in terms of your campaign, you're petitioning for, for um, the UK to take more recognition of this. Um, but there are a lot of um, kind of sub parts of the campaign. Um, for instance, you mentioned that you're in, in regular contact uh, with people in Iraq and the dangers that, that the Yazidi community are facing there. And then um, they're also obviously Europe as a whole um, making plans to accept more Yazidis and fast track an asylum process, uh, given that they're a particularly persecuted group of people. Um, are there other kind of areas beyond the UK that you're very very conscious of and, and you think should be top of the agenda? Um, I think, you know, some of the countries, you know, like Germany, they've done an amazing job by um, taking some girls in, you know, you know, like just temporary, um, but, you know, giving them that treatment that they need. You know, I, I have been to Canada before and, you know, met with lots of the members of their parliament and explained. I believe that Canada can do, you know, quite you know, a bit more, um, which which they are, they are trying. I mean, um, they have said that they're going to take um, some EZDs in, which which is really good um, because, you know, those people, they really need help. Um, but right now, I, I kind of want to, you know, accomplish this before I, I move on to, to do to another country maybe. You know, as kind of our listeners of the show and um, us personally, what can we do? What can the kind of general public do um, to support Yazidi people? Uh, I think, you know, um, actually, I have to mention this, but they've been so supportive to me, uh, you know, from the year that I came here until until this point. Um, the way they made me feel welcome when I first came to Coventry and how I felt integrated um, into, you know, kind of their the society and um, so and until this point with the petition 
they've been so supportive. I, I, at this moment, just before you know, I consider taking my position. It, you know, it would be amazing to get, you know, more media behind me so people know more about the position and sign it. Um, I mean, that would be great. But if if that if if I do achieve that and bring some easy people here, um, you know, just like uh, for treatment, it would make such a difference. Um, where can we? Where can uh, our listeners find that petition? Uh, Change the org. Um, hashtag EZB Women. Great. So, and so you're going to be speaking at the South Bank. Can you tell us a bit about that event? Um, yeah, it's it's like basically about you know the world being silent about what's happening to EZB women and girls. Like um, you know, sometimes um, I think people before when they first attack. Uh, Sinjar, the town of the Yazidi, you know, it was straight into media. But I think people have kind of forgotten about what, you know, what happened to us. And for me as a Yazidi, it's actually painful for me because I know these people, the conditions are just getting worse. But, you know, these people need to know that because the media, I want people to do more to show that. Yeah. It's mainly about that. There has been some high-profile campaigning, um, including that by uh, Amal Clooney. So do you know what she's been campaigning on? Has that made a difference? Do you feel like that's been helpful? I think, you know, she, you know she's been helping the survivor, Nadia Mirage, and, um But, of course, she, she's, she's being the voice for all of the EZDs right now. I think um, because she's, you know, people know, know her, I think it will, people will know a lot more and we listen a lot more um, to us. So, um, you know, she's doing an amazing job. She's being the voice for, for the people. And, you know, um, because we, we needed we needed um, someone who's, who's well-known um, to kind of, you know, tell... In case people didn't believe, didn't believe um, me or, you know, the survivor, we kind of needed her. Um, you know, because people, she's very famous. A lot of people know her. Now, a lot more people will know what happened to the Yazidis. I was wondering because I think, as as you said, kind of when I've looked into this, especially before we we're going to speak to you, but also just generally, I found a lot of information from you know two years ago, as you say, when you know these kidnappings were occurring. So, what is the actual current situation now? Obviously, people are still traumatized. Are these kidnappings, are people still being persecuted actively? I think it is something, as you say, we're not aware of in the UK. Certainly, I don't feel like it's something that's being spoken a lot about. So could you maybe just explain to us what is the actual current situation? I mean, um, you know, a lot of people, um, because Sinjar is still not not safe, um, a lot of people, you know, 400,000 people, um, you know, ran away from their homes and were displaced. Um, so you know those those people are still out on the street and um, outside camps because there's not enough room in uh, on the like just scattered into camps. Um, the you know the the people like the women and girls that have managed to escape from them. Um, you know I still actually you know I spoke to one of my aunties not long ago and. I tried to speak into one of the survivors and she collapsed when I tried to speak to her. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's so bad because there's, 
these people are coming back hoping that someone can help, but instead they're scattered into camps. It's actually the community looking after them, but, you know, this, with psychological, you know, in terms of psychological health, they aren't able to help them with that. Well, I think you're doing a really amazing thing, bring the kind of voice of Yazidi people as much as you can to the UK, so we are hearing about it, and that petition is incredible. So thank you so much for doing that, and we will share thank it as you. well. Thank you so much. So Rosen's incredibly inspirational young woman who's currently studying uh, cu- currently studying law, and she's also an activist, um, and she started that petition two years ago um, when she was 17, and it's got about 300,000 supporters, and it's kind of it's a call on the government to do more, hopefully to help people who are currently in Iraq and the Yazidi community there. So as I mentioned earlier, there was a panel at Women of the World in South Bank last month, and Rosen was there. And actually her talk, she she spoke about similar things that she told us. Uh, that we actually recorded that interview the day before she gave that talk. Um, but there was something quite moving that she said um, at that talk. I'm just going to play this clip now. You know, a lot of people said to me, you know, even, even Friday when I won the Young Women of the Year Award, you know, like after, like, are you not scared? Like, what would what will happen to you because clearly some some people disagree with what I'm campaigning for but it, it, there is nothing special about me actually what's special to me is that I'm like I'm a British easy teenager that's what's special to me but I'm just like the other girls I can't just you know, listen, I have to be that voice for them. So also at the talk at the Women of the World Festival at the South Bank was Christina Lamb, who is a correspondent. She's a reporter who has often worked at the front line of conflicts, being a war reporter, particularly in Afghanistan. And recently, in the last few years, she's been covering the situation in northwestern Iraq and particularly focusing on the experience of the Yazidi people and women especially. She actually mentions in um, her talk at the festival that this is some of the most horrific um, experiences that she's ever reported on. And part of her work at the moment is interviewing survivors of the um, abuse and continuing to try and raise awareness and shed light on the situation as it's happening. So now we're going to go to a clip of Christina telling us a bit more about what's actually been taking place. So I've been a war correspondent or foreign correspondent for 29 years. I cover bad things in bad places most of the time and I can honestly say that I've never seen or heard such awful stories as the stories that I heard over the last year from Yazidi women. We all know that rape's been used as a weapon of war for pretty much ever, but the the way it was done here, so systematic, capturing, abducting these girls, um, girls as young as eight, raped hundreds of times, Girls sold for the price of a cigarette packet. This German state, Baden-Württemberg in southern Germany, they've taken 1,100 girls. Canada now has agreed to do to take about the same, the same kind of scheme. The idea is to take them for three years and help them rehabilitate them, and then they'll go back home. Um, the UK haven't taken any. So I guess that um, 
Christina Lamb kind of strikes an important note, which is that it's not just about offering asylum to these women and girls. It's about offering them a rehabilitation as well because they've been through such traumatic events. And, you know, it's about whether or not countries are willing to take people in and also take on that responsibility of actually dealing with and treating that trauma. It's, obviously, it's particularly strong among Yazidi families and Yazidi communities just because of the persecution and abuse and the level of it and the scale of it. Something that is kind of important to note and something that I was definitely confused about because I think, as we've all said, we don't have a lot of information. I don't feel like there's a lot of open information about what's going on with the Yazidi people. When I've looked into it, I've often found you know articles are two years old. People are not keeping a spotlight on these people, even though it's kind of something that's still it's an ongoing issue. But I think also we've talked a lot about the kind of young women and girls, um, but I don't know if we've really mentioned what's happening, what happens to the men there. So what's actually happening to the Yazidi men? It is important to take a holistic approach, and I think what Rosen says is that um, Yazidi communities are you know, there is a very strong sense of community and um, dispersing a family is um, not the best option. Um, When I was in Greece, I met um, people who, men who had um, more than one wife and in the European system, um, you have to choose uh, who your wife is uh, when you gain asylum. So people are in situations of of picking a partner. There, There are just certain frameworks like that where the full ramifications haven't been fully taken into account. I I think that's a really interesting point because the more cultural understanding we have of different ways of life and the importance of certain social structures uh, to people, the more we can really make sure that people are given the best support. You can't have a one-size-fits-all framework for providing um, emotional support for people and for making sure that their family stays together and they can find employment. I also think what's really great about just going back to even the concept of doing something like the Women of the World Festival, these types of events, um, sometimes they attract criticism because they focus on women or a particular gender. But actually, across the world, there still is a huge prevalence of um, abuses against women and very gendered violence. Any um, event where you can bring people together to talk about those issues is really important. Anything that highlights what's going on and creates media attention, but also gives you the opportunity to meet people who experience that firsthand. How many people in the UK have met someone from the Yazidi community or know that much about it? And all of us here have said that we haven't had that interaction prior to this taking place. Now people have the chance to hear from someone who has the experience of being part of that community but also living in the UK and creating those bridges and showing that actually we're all much more connected. I think that's a really powerful thing and it's really important that people know in the UK there are opportunities to get much more involved. It's not just something happening thousands of miles away but you can reach out and talk to someone in this country and do more to get involved and help. And on that note, I think we can all also um, put up Rosen's petition, which is... It's on change.org. If you type in Yazidi women and girls on change.org, you will find her petition. Or if you type in Rosen Khalil Hanjol, that's um, H-A-N-J-O-O-L, um, you'll, you will also be able to find her petition. And as well as that, there's also an exhibition at the moment in London, which is kind of putting a spotlight on women who survived ISIS. And it's got portraits of Yazidi women and that is the hashtag I am Yazidi exhibition at the Lacey Contemporary Gallery in, in London. Okay, I think that that is all we have time for this evening. Um, thanks for listening. This has been Very Loose Women. Uh, I'm Leo. I'm Emma, and I also want to say thanks so much to Rosen for um, agreeing to interview with us because it was really inspiring what she said. 
And I'm Catherine, and thank you very much for listening, and we will look forward to being back on air next week.